It's Thursday, May the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the Fed's half-point rate rise and Russia warns EU over oil embargo. First, the world in brief. The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by half a percentage point, its steepest single increase since 2000, in an effort to dampen runaway inflation. An indication by Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, that it was not, quote, actively considering raising rates by any larger increments sent stock markets sharply higher. The S&P 500 leapt by nearly 3%. America's central bank also announced plans to shrink its $9 trillion balance sheet starting in June. It will let securities worth $95 billion mature each month without hoovering up new ones. Ukraine said its forces were engaged in, quote, difficult, bloody battles against Russian troops inside the Azovstal steelworks in Mariupol. The United Nations and the Red Cross are helping organise convoys out of the city, but some 200 civilians remain trapped. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said only a prolonged ceasefire could ensure their safety. Joe Biden said he plans to speak to other leaders in the G7, a group of rich economies, about imposing further sanctions against Russia. Earlier, the European Union had proposed some of its toughest measures yet, including an oil embargo. The Kremlin warned that the new sanctions would hurt ordinary Europeans. The EU also pledged military aid to Moldova, along with support for its membership application. Mysterious blasts in a separatist pro-Russian bit of Moldova have put the country on edge. Hours before America's central bank raised its benchmark rate, India raised its own for the first time since 2018. The Reserve Bank of India characterised it as a defence against inflation, driven by imported food and fuel. Adding 40 basis points to its historical low of 4%, the RBI caught investors off guard. Stock markets drooped. Other countries joined the rate-rising brigade, after the Fed's announcement, including Brazil and most of the Gulf states. During a visit to Washington, Sweden's foreign minister, Anne Linder, said that America has offered her country security assurances should it decide to join NATO. Sweden and Finland, which both sat outside any defence alliance during the Cold War, are considering joining now. They worry, however, about being left vulnerable to an angry Russia during the application process. Four left-wing French parties agreed in principle to put forth one candidate per constituency in parliamentary elections in June. They aim to deprive Emmanuel Macron, the recently re-elected president, of a legislative majority. The Socialists and La France Insoumise, the far-left party of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, reached a tentative deal with the Greens and the Communists. America's trade deficit hit a record high of $109.8 billion in March, up by $20 billion from the month before, owing to a surge in imports as port congestion cleared. Exports rose by 5.6% from February, outpaced by a 10.3% jump in imports.
The next few months may well see imports fall, as lockdowns in China dampen production there. And fact of the day, 5%. The share of global card transactions accounted for by Apple Pay. And now, here's today's agenda. Can Beijing escape the fate of Shanghai? With cases of COVID-19 on the rise, Beijing's authorities are desperate to slow infections. A national three-day holiday was muted by the closure of shops, restaurants and public transport. The population is undergoing mass testing for the virus. Some are being isolated in their apartments. On Wednesday, the city reported 51 new cases. High numbers of unvaccinated elderly people in the capital justify the concern. But China's zero-Covid policy is doing damage. Foreigners and locals are thinking about leaving. Discontent about the social and economic costs of restrictions seem to be growing. A lockdown in the seat of Communist Party power would further damage confidence in the authorities. So the government is determined to avoid a lockdown as chaotic as that in Shanghai. Instead, it hopes to use Beijing to prove its pandemic policy works, and that Shanghai was an exception. China's supreme leader, Xi Jinping, seems to believe that the right mix of science, perseverance and party spirit will lead to a successful containment of the virus. But Omicron is a relentless foe. Northern Ireland's Historic Election Northern Ireland may be on the verge of a historically symbolic moment. On Thursday, voters decide the makeup of the 90-seat devolved assembly in Belfast. Polls have consistently predicted that Sinn Féin, which wants to unite Northern Ireland with its southern neighbour, will win the most seats. That would be the first triumph by a nationalist party in the province's 101-year history. Sinn Féin has downplayed the idea that this would lead it to push urgently for a referendum on Irish reunification. The Good Friday Agreement system means the First and Deputy First Ministers are equal. As the latter is likely to be from a party which opposes reunification, a nationalist victory would be more symbol than substance. A more immediate impact will be on the Northern Ireland Protocol, the part of Britain's Brexit deal which creates a border in the Irish Sea. Sinn Féin and other pro-protocol parties are almost certain to win a majority. The sea border further separates Northern Ireland from the rest of Britain and brings it closer to its nearest neighbour. The State of Europe's Union Multilateral institutions like the European Union are famous for pomp and circumstance, and academia is the preferred domain of windy blowhards. So you might expect an academic conference about the EU to be gusty indeed. Yet the conversation at the annual State of the Union conference at the European University Institute in Florence, which starts on Thursday, will be very substantive. Most of the topics are perennial ones for European integration, 
stabilising the Eurozone's economy with more EU spending, apportioning refugees among the member states, decarbonising the economy, guaranteeing the rule of law, and building cross-border railways. But member states have been given a jolt of urgency by the war in Ukraine. Suddenly, energy policy means not just fighting climate change, but fighting Russia. And an EU that sees itself as a, quote, regulatory superpower, is asking whether regulations can stop an armoured division. Delegates will have a busy conference. India revisits sedition. The freedom of the press in India, already strained, is being eroded. According to Reporters Without Borders Index of Press Freedom, the country ranks 150th out of 180 in the world, down from 142nd in 2021. One reason is increased enforcement of the sedition law, which punishes any speech or writing that displays, quote, contempt towards the government. Once used by British colonial rulers to muzzle India's freedom movement, it is now deployed by the government to crack down on all manner of potential trouble, ranging from dissenting activists to plucky journalists. On Thursday, however, that could change. India's Supreme Court will hold a final hearing of petitions challenging the constitutional validity of the law. The petitioners, which include a group of representing journalists, argue that it has a, quote, chilling effect on free speech, a fundamental right. They will be hoping for more success than others have had. In previous attempts, the government's defence, usually that the law is needed to preserve, quote, national security, has prevailed. Scandal at the Vatican One of the Holy See's biggest, yet most opaque scandals, may be brought further into the light on Thursday. Cardinal Giovanni Angelo Becciu, formerly one of Pope Francis's most senior officials, is due to resume his testimony to a court, where he will be asked to explain his links to a woman who claims to have been his personal spy. Cardinal Becciu is one of ten people caught up in the Pope's attempts to crack down on corruption. Their trial centres on the bungled 350 million euro, 410 million dollar purchase of a London property. But it involves much else, including his relationship with Cecilia Moronia, who says she collected information on the private lives of other officials. The prosecution alleges that much of the 575,000 euros she received was spent on designer clothes and in spas. In March, Cardinal Becciu refused to answer questions about Miss Moronia, citing official Vatican secrecy. But Pope Francis has since lifted the duty of secrecy, putting pressure on the Cardinal to tell all. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. What was the name of the short-lived republic 
that existed in present-day Netherlands from 1795 to 1806. Wednesday, which musical, written by Claude Michel Schomburg and Alain Boublil, was based on the Puccini opera Madame Butterfly? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Karl Marx, who was born on this day in 1818. Reason has always existed, but not always in a rational form. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 